sharper than a dagger thrust, sinking into my plentiful heart. Thou, fancied and arrayed in lust, strong as a demon host, who art, possess my humble soul. observation and study or was this knowledge given to him by another perhaps extraterrestrial source there is this book of prophecies which is a very rare book and in there are some type of descriptions that could indicate some type of an extraterrestrial visitation there are references in which Da Vinci himself says that he's had these encounters, these visions of God and angels. And of course, according to the ancient Aslan hypothesis, that wasn't God, it wasn't angels, they were extraterrestrials. Emperor Saddam IV, there are guild highliners above us containing many great houses of the land's wrath. Send them back. How dare you speak to me in that You have some idea of what I could do. Don't try your powers on me. Try looking into that place where you dare not look. You'll find me there staring back at you. You mustn't speak. I remember your Gonjabar. Now you'll remember mine. I can kill with a word. Hellmaster is any painting that was painted in Western Europe for the most part, starting in about 1280, you know, the beginnings of the Renaissance, and right on through about 1850. Sotheby's has decided to create Old Master Week, which is an exciting event for all of us because not only do we have fantastic Old Master painting sale, we also have an Old Master drawing sale, a European works of art sale, and this year we're doing a single owner sale from the collection of J.E. Safra, as well as a single owner sale from Charles Ricecamp. Pictures from the Dutch, uh, 17th century, uh, 17th century, um, all the way to the 18th, 18th century, 19th century, and not very far into the Renaissance. So there's really something to What we have been noticing over the last few seasons is that old masters have uh, come to appeal to a broader audience. Um, people that collect, for example, contemporary paintings have started turning to earlier pictures. Some old masters can be very modern. Um, any kind of great work of art tends to resonate with us today. It's, a, it's, it's something that spoke to humans in the 16th and the 15th century and it still speaks to us today. put Teddy, the absolute boy, in that violent, but placid, body of water. Who could be so cruel? Was it really Bernard? Or is he on some kind of fucked up loop? Do Carl Strand and Antoine Costa actually know that he is a host? So many questions. Like, what the unholy fuck was up with that bear? 
Welcome back to another episode of Violent Delights, the podcast about Westworld. Just kidding. But I wish that I weren't. Fuck art and fuck comedy. I want to talk about Dolores, Maeve, and the rest of the crew. Oh well, I guess. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject podcast, You Escaped Bengal Tiger from World 6 Screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. Boy oh boy, have we got a barn burner of an episode for you this week. Everybody's favorite painter's painter, Chris O, stopped by the kitchen to talk science fiction. What scared his butt to hell when he was just a little boy, the pure ecstasy of painting, and lots and lots of mythologies. Strap your earbuds in like you mean it, and get ready for some important conversation about art, comedy, and the meaning of life it fucking self. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 59 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm just coming out of a big weekend visit to Philadelphia, and you'll have some episodes with the folks I interviewed down there very soon. Also dropping this week is going to be the live DSA podcast. That's Darcy, Sean, and Ezekwe from the Drip Arts Open House at Kickstarter uh, from last week. Typically, we squirrel those episodes away behind the Drip subscriber paywall, but we thought we'd unlock the live episode and give everyone a taste of uh, what they're missing. Shout out to Patton, Taylor, Travis, Daniel, rest of the Kickstarter people for inviting us out to raise what I think was a tasteful amount of heck. On this week's primary episode, I've got the painter Chris O. He and I met a few years ago after I saw his work in the basement of a bodega as part of the Ryobi Room exhibition series that was curated by B. Tom Stevenson and Philip H. Ashley. I pretty much immediately fell in love with O's work, which at the time was kind of these primarily photorealistic acrylic paintings of stoner aliens, clownish pieces of toast, and other really weird uh, shit. Lately, though, he's turned his focus to these delicately rendered, tattered book covers, like pulp science fiction novels, um, and he's also been recreating master works of art, like Dutch old master paintings on derelict surfaces like rags, couches, or even the soles of a shoe. Soul of a shoe. Uh, we got the chance to talk about his process, where he gets his ideas, and the stuff that freaked us both out as kids that has somehow found its way into our studio work. So thanks for tuning in. As always, here's my conversation with Chris O. Ready to go? Yep. Okay. Uh, Chris O, 
Welcome to Humor in the Abject. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm good. Good. Good yeah. seeing you. Yeah. Big recent. We Pretty just found out off mics. Big recent birthday, boys. <laughs> Chris is in April 9th. Yes. That's right? yes. Yeah. And Aries I'm April 15th. Well. Uh, 82, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're both 36-year-old big boys uh, <laughs> as of this recording, which is very exciting. Um, I wanted to kick things off by talking about a recent solo exhibition of yours that was called Interiors. Uh, that was organized by the Fortnite Institute, but it was at Sergeant's Daughters, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and in that show, you were sampling, if I can use that word, uh, from Dutch old master paintings, but you were working on pretty weird surfaces with them. Can you talk a little bit about the pieces in that show and the process of making them? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I guess uh, I've been working with kind of found materials for a while now, and um Fortnite organized uh, this that that solo show at um, Sergeant's Daughters, and so that was a great opportunity because um, they have such a beautiful space there. And um, I had been thinking about bringing my work into more of an installation format for a while, um, just because uh, I don't know. I've been wanting to kind of get away from the wall that uh-huh. i've I'd gotten found a way to get away from the square of the canvas yeah because you're a capital p painter <laughs> trade, right yeah. oh thanks man <laughs> and um yeah so uh i feel like working on found materials like kind of brings a, a a new kind of um dimension to painting where it carries the nuances from what that found object was before I turned yeah. it into like a painting. And what are some of the objects that you're using? You're using like rags, things you find around the house, and you used like a shoe mm-hmm. before soccer ball. Yeah, I, I try and mix it up a lot, and um, <laughs> definitely for the last show at Sergeant's Daughters, I was uh, had to scramble for a lot of materials. So. <laughs> In that respect, because the it was kind of a t- tight deadline, but um, got it done and um, had to work with materials at hand. So yeah. that, that was like really fun. So a lot of times I'll like just do that work with materials that are around or things I can find and working within like a certain type of parameter that I set up for myself. Um, so what was the parameters for this show? I mean, there's the Dutch old masters, you're on found objects and you're also, you paint um pretty much just with acrylic right yeah oil right yeah it's all acrylic paint yeah what's the acrylic paint about um well i like using it because um it's pretty simple i just add water or sometimes like an extender medium just to spread out the pigment but um i i find working with this kind of plastic makes it easier to work on a variety of different surfaces yeah, yeah, you're not sitting around watching paint dry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's very quick too, so I can work quickly, and uh, it's non, relatively non-toxic. So yeah. that's what I like. Did you have a? I mean, do you have a, a long-standing kind of interest in Dutch old master paintings? I mean, why why pull from those? I mean, obviously they're the kind of you know the plates we see in the book or things mm-hmm. like that. But um, I was thinking about it before we came over here and. It's kind of like, for me, the Dutch Old Masters is this kind of uncanny thing in that I just assume I know about it because I'm so familiar with the imagery just through being around art or something. But at yeah. the same time, I realize that it's actually really foreign and I don't know anything about it. Like, if you ask me what year mm-hmm. the Dutch Old Masters were, I'd like, 
throw a ballpark in it would uh, 1500 I, <laughs> I don't know but so what i mean are you looking at these all the time it's kind of a yeah funny, like i uh, mean you kind of hit the nail on the head with uh your description of your familiarity with that whole and my time of yeah. <laughs> art but uh, i mean yeah i was first introduced to it freshman art history class yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of just really ignored it because it was all like religious based stuff yeah i was yeah. like this is pretty boring i'm kind of don't really have any interest in it. i want to see like the new cool modern stuff sure, yeah and um uh for a while i had been taking from found like found imagery from say like books or source imagery from the internet and then i found this kind of old museum print um that while i was cleaning my studio i'm like oh this is another type of thing that i can uh pull source imagery from that's um kind of garbage <laughs> the print not yeah the, not the, the, the not print the genre of yeah. art <laughs> so for a while i'd been like trying to figure out how to utilize that imagery into painting yeah and uh, that's when i first started doing the found object stuff i was like oh i don't want to just like do a trump loy painting of uh, this old uh-huh. crappy museum print um so i painted that on a towel and it was a uh, one of my favorite drawings, Leonardo da Vinci, Madonna, and like three quarters view. I oh yeah, yeah. The Met. That's like one that I know. Oh nice, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know which one you're. Doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, nice. um, yeah. It's a beautiful drawing. I didn't paint it exactly how I wanted to because uh, you know I painted it on a IKEA towel. Okay. Um, it's got, but got a tooth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Unprime <laughs> and. uh from from that I, that started off the interest in kind of older work and then yeah. i realized like just mining imagery from google image search that i kind of gravitated towards imagery that was before photography hmm. and um definitely within that kind of 14th 15th century like medieval period um there's this kind of style that was completely foreign to me because just living in such a photographically image saturated culture, you mm-hmm. know, it's I, I was just really not into a lot of photorealist based work where I consider myself a photorealist because oh, you're using that term now. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I funny. mean, just with the technique and stuff. Well, it's funny you're talking about sort of going through Google image searches and how you're pulling this stuff or finding it. And I remember you did um, this interview for Art in America with Zach Sokol like a, a year, a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was when you, it was, you were doing a solo show at Fortnite Institute itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in that interview, if I'm remembering correctly, he asked you something about your practice and you said something that I thought was pretty cool, which was just this idea that as much as you are a painter, you're an editor. Yeah. So, so what's, I mean, that's a, that's a big term, right? I mean, I, I feel like people could just as easily be like, I'm sort of a curator of images or something, but what's the, what's the editorial aspect? How do you, what are you doing with all the things? Are you organizing them into weird folders on your desktop? Do you have like a particular thing that you're looking for or how, how does that editorial process work? Cause you pull from pretty disparate stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much exactly how I work <laughs> where, um, at the core of it, I, I feel like it's kind of like my interest and what I'm into that dictates kind of what I save from Google uh-huh. <laughs> and, for a while, I was uh, I had narrowed it down to like okay, old artwork that's before photography, uh-huh. 
and then that felt a little too open to me like yeah um, that's broad yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh i had to narrow it down just because i I wanted to have like more of a cohesive feeling in my body of work so um i did this uh installation at um the Zaha Hadid building yeah, yeah. by the High Line. It was organized by Duplex. Oh, what was that Kira show called? Team. It's like Home um, Is it a Home something? It's okay. Don't worry. Yeah. It's not your responsibility. <laughs> it's a group show. You yeah. Know, you got a lot going on. No, but no, I know uh, you're talking about. It was called Timeshare. Timeshare. See, it was like a home. Yeah. But like exactly. a home you don't live in all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What was the installation that you did? Uh, it was based on... Um, Roger Van de Weyden's uh, Descent from the Cross. Okay. I don't know that one, but I'm going to guess that's an old master painting. Yeah. So early like, Netherlandish yeah. artwork. Uh, I think 1435, <laughs> maybe. Probably later. But uh, um, I I had thought about doing like a larger installation for a while uh-huh. just because uh, I was thinking that'd be a way to make the artwork more cohesive yeah. like taking i'd been working with details from early renaissance painting for a while and definitely a part of me felt like i could address a larger portion of the painting because so many of the details were from one painting yeah and um after I, a while i realized most of the imagery i was into that i was finding on the internet was from the early netherlandish period so it kind of just happened naturally so i was like okay I can focus on this specific time period in art. Yeah, yeah. And um, what was the installation though? So uh, I I had the opportunity to have a room to myself. So I was thinking, okay, this is a great chance to actually do an installation because it's kind of like this serenely meditative space that I felt reflected a feeling, the feeling from the painting, and mm-hmm. it's just a gorgeous painting. So, um, what I did was, uh, kind of in the same way that I would take details from paintings to make single pieces, I realized that these specific details that stood out in the painting were focal points Mm -hmm. within the composition. So I tried to figure out a way where I could kind of strip away all the rest of the information and then spread it out kind of like a web through the yeah, room yeah. almost like an exploded view of mm-hmm. the of the highlights of the painting yeah and I, I thought this would like give it more of a immersive feeling so the viewer could feel like they're in the painting and see this really kind of powerful scene of uh, sadness turmoil and what were the surfaces that you were using um it was a lot of different materials that i'd found um, ranging from like deli bags to bathroom tile, uh-huh. did a used a Lacroix box. Okay, my friend said it was hipster garbage. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> some found metal, a uh, mailing envelope, cool bubble wrap. Yeah, yeah. Do you think this, did the approach to wanting to do installation? I wonder if that kind of came naturally because. I guess when you're first, like when I first saw your work, which was in the Ryobi room, it was a show that B. Tom and Phil put together. Yeah, um, great guys. I, I feel like at that time you were showing in a lot of contexts that were sort of like group exhibitions, right? Mm-hmm. And so then all of a sudden, though, once you've kind of shown proof of concept and people are like, oh, this dude knows what he's doing, you start to get 
more ambitious spaces or like a spot that's just for you. Mm -hmm. And so you start to think like, oh gosh, maybe this one painting isn't just a discrete object that needs to sit with other ones, but you have some room to play and you want to do something more ambitious. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a, that's a interesting way to think about painting because a lot of people, even if they're um, given the opportunity to use a larger space, they still might really be thinking of their things as discrete objects. And they're sort of like, no, this painting is contained here. Like mm-hmm. The painting is the object, but fun to kind of think about exploding that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I felt like that was a good way to kind of play off of using a wide variety of materials with one subject matter. Yeah. the I mean, in terms of subject matter, too, in the work... I noticed uh, recently when I was doing a little little digging, getting ready for this episode, that on your studio website, a lot of the stuff that I saw first of yours isn't on there anymore, unless mm-hmm. my page just stopped loading at a certain point. But it, it seemed like you were really trying to focus and highlight on the more recent stuff. And a lot of that does include these uh, renderings or repurposings of old master paintings and things like that. And some of the earlier, more poppy, like whack job stuff that mm-hmm. I first saw of yours is no longer on there. Um but when did you, cause I feel like when we talked, I mean, this is like a couple of years ago at this point. Um, but I was asking you about when you started to paint the imagery that you were painting, which at the time included these kind of like weird aliens that had stick and poke tattoos, these pieces <laughs> of bread with like smushed kind of things on them, but all painted with this really, uh, you know, careful and like loving attention to detail on them. Mm. Um, but you told me something about, right before you switched into doing that, which kind of leads up to this work now that you were sort of messing around with color field and abstraction and things like that. I mean, what it usually goes the other way, right? Like somebody makes figurative work and then they think now I'm going to move into abstraction. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of did the opposite. I mean, what happened that made you realize like, I'm actually going to go back to my drawing skills and my like rendering and my attention to space instead of this kind of, I'm very good at painting this way. Now I'm just going to paint a canvas blue. (laughs) That's the kind of, that's like the, that's the move, right? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. You're going backwards. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for, for pretty much most of my life, I've been kind of a representational artist. Like, could you draw whatever you looked at when you were a kid? Yeah. It just came naturally. Mm Mm-hmm. Fuck. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Learned a lot from copying comic books. Yeah. So I've always kind of had this ability to see something visually and realize what makes that unique. Yeah. Like the space that it inhabits Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. That's like the hardest thing. That's a. Oh, I know. (laughs) It is tough because, I mean, I think about, I mean, you said comic books and. I don't remember what it is, but there was this really funny blog that I remember looking at one time that was about this very specific comic artist Mm -hmm. who, like, the point of the blog was this guy can't draw hands or feet. And it was just example after example after example. Oh, was it R. Liefeld? It might be. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to check after this, but I... I feel like it was like somebody who notoriously like couldn't draw like a foreshortened hand mm. or feet. And so every, there was always something in front of it or there was like a weird way that they were arranged or something. But yeah. it's a it's a different type of thinking to be able to spatially understand how something exists in depth rendered on a flat plane. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it's interesting to think about that just being something that naturally came to you. I think it does come to some people and other people study it for years and still can't fucking draw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean that, that was kind of my early education was yeah. like copying comic books yeah but what did you 
did something happen that made you decide I'm going to go back to this or did you just get bored with abstraction? I mean, how did you, Yeah, I mean like, uh, so for a while, you know, I was working in a very representational way and I don't know, I kind of have the ability to copy a lot of styles. So because there are so many possibilities I had trouble finding the subject matter yeah. and essentially a voice that I want to express. The prison of choice. <laughs> yeah, take me to a restaurant. I can't make a decision. <laughs> Luckily, they took out a lot of options from McDonald's. So yeah, yeah, that's good. That's easier. good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was struggling with trying to find imagery for a while and um, kind of fighting my ability to represent like be be able to copy things yeah. pretty um i wonder if it, it's kind of like uh it's like if somebody's a virtuoso musician who can play by ear but there's but they can't write a lick mm-hmm. does that make sense like yeah you can like anything that you hear you're like oh i can take that apart i know how it's made i can repeat it mm-hmm. but then there's that <clears throat> excuse me there's that kind of existential crisis of like well what if i can just make it up and then what i mean how do you what do you do yeah that that was the spot i was in definitely <laughs> i could play the Jimi hendrix guitar solo yeah, note yeah. for note but couldn't write a song so this was kind of like post-college yeah. maybe for about seven years i struggled with this and then so i've always been kind of someone who operates on the extremes of a spectrum so i was like okay i'm stuck with this representational painting i was painting like animals portraits can really figure it out like of people's animals like commissions Um, no no just like google image search like um dude that's albino gorilla i I was gonna say like dogs are really hot for years (laughs) they have been like a small sort of like diminutive painting of a dog from a google image search you know Mm -hmm. with like a mint green background and then it's just like a weird like black and white kind of fluffy dog that's like a look people do that yeah i've seen like 200 of those (laughs) it's the painter's house plan you know like a sculptor just puts a house plan in the room painter's like this is a painting of fucking dog (laughs) (laughs) so you kind of like assigned well it sounds like you assigned yourself something which was basically like this is the thing i'm trying to avoid but i'm gonna do it so Mm -hmm. that i have to kind of break through and find the voice that's in there yeah definitely so so my my kind of painting artistic journey took me <laughs> to trying out abstract work uh-huh. because I think being a abstract artist is one of the hardest things to like express like be original sure because but also technically shapes and color. also technically the easiest <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, to I'm some just, extent. I'm just yeah, trying to yeah. enrage anybody who's listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> abstract yeah. So, well, that that was part of it. I, I was like pretty techni- technically adept at painting. Yeah, but you're also surrounded by, I mean, that's the look, right? That's like what's so much art that you see when you go into galleries and things like that. All the A lot of the painting is very abstract. It's mm-hmm. very based on color and composition and these kind of like things that are not uh, representational. Mm-hmm. Like, so it makes sense that you'd be like well that's kind of yeah i should learn to do that if that's what people are doing yeah it was a a big challenge for Mm -hmm. me to like just go do a 180 and try something new and um i I was kind of bad at it (laughs) but i learned a lot did you use a lot of painter's tape 
Um, no, no. It was pretty much these slow blends. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you can you can do that with like a brayer with like silk screening, just one pass. You know, yeah. You have to well, there it. was a challenge that I was like, <laughs> if I could do it seamlessly by hand. But I learned a lot from painting doing yeah. that. Yeah. And I learned a lot of new techniques. Um, but for me, I didn't feel like it was something I could hone for the rest of my life. Because sure. I already had this like ability that it built up over decades that I felt I should use. So at that point, I decided to go back to representational painting. This was maybe like 2000 five-ish uh-huh. 2007 something like that and um I, I was uh still looking for imagery and then kind of i signed up for instagram uh-huh. pretty late in the game the gram yeah i was pretty i was a i was a late adopter of instagram <laughs> too. Yeah. and uh i i realized that uh there there was all this imagery that was pretty disparate and I could kind of take things from that. And this is where the editor aspect of my process started coming in and somehow find a common thread within it all to bring it together, to voice, to voice how I'm feeling and express that. And, um, this was kind of when I started bringing humor into my work, which was so fun. And I still think I have some humor in my work. And yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's not like LOL, but it's yeah. pretty. But I, I think there's a, yeah, there's like a, there's a humor in your material. There's like a, and maybe it's even just playfulness or something. Exactly. But there's something in there that's like, you can tell that the artist is enjoying what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like fun and there's a comedy to it that isn't like slapstick or something. I mean, some of the others, like the alien with like the, like the 420 <laughs> stick and poke. I mean, that's pretty, that's... <laughs> That's pretty funny, you know. That's just like yeah, a, but I this, was cracking up when I was. Oh, I'm that sure you were yes. <laughs> <laughs> for like 17 hours, <laughs> basically. That's why I gave you the Beavis and Butthead mug that you're drinking out of, so you can just sort of like Beavis it out. But, um, so you were just like, did you see that as a distribution platform where you were like, oh, I can put my paintings out, but I can also sort of edit and put other imagery that I think is interesting, like via Instagram or something, where it's just like, oh, my art can live next to these other things. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of this platform where, I guess in a way I was trying to take some of the emotion that people get from Instagram, mainly like funny stuff and kind of the just this random feed of imagery and um, put that into my art. And um, it, it was kind of like when I went to the more color field stuff where I, d- I did another 180. So I did a 360. Nice. <laughs> well, you could do a 180. clean. You could do a 180 back. <laughs> yeah. make like a left turn and then a right turn. Yeah. So many possibilities. So yeah, in a way, I did a backwards 180. Yeah. Back, backside 180. Backside 180. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, it... It definitely broke down some walls that I yeah. had put around my painting practice where I wasn't having fun for a while. Yeah. And um, this was tons of fun. It seems like you were painting stuff that you wanted to paint. Yeah. Which is kind of, I guess giving yourself permission to do that, though, isn't the easiest thing in the world because it's like you're supposed to put into um, an artwork imagery that's, let's say, like important or something like that, mm-hmm. but you were just sort of giving yourself the permission to have some fun and be like, I'm, I like this. I'm going to paint it. 
Yeah, and it took fuck, me. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I don't it took know. me so long to <laughs> realize. Probably because you went to art school. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> <laughs> fucked you I up. They try and teach you to play around in art school, but also I was just older. Yeah, and um, kind of realizing what I wanted out of life, and because art is that reflection. Yeah. Well, if you're going to spend so much time doing it, it might as well be stuff that you're interested in, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. So how did you get to the, uh, like the book covers? Cause that's mm-hmm. another, I mean, you're, you're known for lots of these different, almost like you have these, like, you know, kind of like artists have their periods or something. You had your alien period. You had your toast, your toast period. <laughs> yes. You did a lot of, a lot of carbs, <laughs> but no, no, but you've been doing these book covers. Um, and so what, what was the first, uh, book cover that you, looked at and thought i gotta paint that um well i i decided that i didn't want to be so funny all the time i don't know if they were funny they were funny to me the the alien, alien paintings and shit those are funny as shit yeah no they're extremely <laughs> funny they're very if anybody who doesn't think that they're funny is an asshole <laughs> no, they're yeah, very I mean, funny. That, that was one thing i was thinking about was that the humor aspect that that emotion so, sometimes they, the paintings weren't funny to me all the time yeah and so i wanted to explore kind of different emotions to bring into the artwork and when you said I earlier love... you like to go on these spectrums Either yeah like it's gonna be really funny or you're gonna do something kind of serious like mm-hmm. paint a, like a sontag book cover or something yeah but... no moderation <laughs> <laughs> so uh the, the first Nothing painting was <laughs> yeah either, either blackout drunk or sober <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> yeah, what was the I, i'm one? sober now <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a um, man machine kind of uh by isaac asm Okay. As a mom. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. The book was I Robot. I called it Man Machine. And um The painting this, was called Man Machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, kinda I'm pretty into like sci fi stuff and um really? fa- no, sci fi fantasy. <laughs> cool. It's a big interest of mine. <laughs> and it was just like this really cool cover that I came across on a uh, Google and I eventually found it online, so I'm psyched to have the hard copy. But uh it was it was another realm of found imagery that I wanted to explore, and um, it was this really cool kind of '60s style picture of this chrome robot. Oh yeah, that sounds very fun to paint. Fun to paint. Yeah, to yeah, paint. for sure. Had kind of a silver surfer vibe to it. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and for the other ones that you're painting, because you've done, I mean, and I have, you did. What's the publishing? people that you did the book with oh heavy time books heavy time books yeah, yeah. so i have the book that has a bunch of the covers that are in it yeah, yeah, yeah um how are you are you picking those because of a personal response to like something where you're like oh i'd like i i, I really want to paint that or i'm responding aesthetically or uh do you have some personal relationship with the narratives of the books a little mix of both what's the kind of what's the editorial process for that i guess in picking it, the it was a little bit of both um definitely um a lot of it came from the imagery that was depicted, mm-hmm. things I was interested in, and um, definitely also, the styles, yeah. kind of like, that was very fun, there's trying to like copy a, all these different styles. It style. feels like there's like a, a time window, too, mm-hmm. almost like the kind of parameter that you set up, like, oh, it's got to be these paintings that happened before photography that kind of fall into this window. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know a shitload about book design or anything like that but it seems like (laughs) it seems like a lot of the covers that you chose particularly the science fiction ones are kind of from 
this window of like a few decades mm -hmm. during like this kind of heyday of the the paperback edition of sci-fi and where they were yeah. all kind of following this pretty similar cover structure yeah or, or 50s was... to early 80s probably. yeah yeah that makes sense yeah. um yeah you did one that uh just love the style yeah yeah you did a uh, william sloan's uh to walk the night which is one of my oh i haven't read it oh. i have i have a copy it's, it's really gross the, <laughs> it's just like oh the book and oh, I, thought, so I thought you meant the story i was like the story is not it's very tasty <laughs> but no that's uh my buddy casey gave me um i had never heard of william sloan uh he's like an editor oh. edited a lot of I, I i'm if i'm getting this wrong nobody killed me but i think he like edited a lot of science fiction anthologies and stuff and he wrote these two books um to walk the night and i think the other one is called the edge of running water mm -hmm. maybe if I'm getting that wrong, don't kill me. But uh, there's like a, those two books were published together oh. um, called The Rim of Morning or something. And it's like the two, like, I think it's the only two books that he ever wrote, but they're great. They're like cosmic horror, like weird. And I think they came out in the 30s, I want to say. So they really like predate a lot of um, mm -hmm. the stories that they ended up influencing. There's this like forward from Stephen King in the book that he's just like, this is what I read that made me want to write and all this stuff. But it's like a really cool story, but also this really niche thing so i got so excited when i saw that when i got the uh book of your it's got like plates of all of chris's uh book covers not all of them but several of them oh yeah um, and i saw yeah, that one and i was like job. yeah i just don't know like nobody i guess some people but not that many people have read that book and i don't know a ton about william sloan because i don't mm -hmm. think he put out a ton of stuff but that was i love that book i read that like right weirdly right before i got your thing oh um well there's something too about so the editorial choices that you're making and the imagery that you work with i also feel like there's this kind of like there are three maybe like schools of mythology that come into your work a lot and mm -hmm. there's like there's kind of like the classical, like Greco-Roman, like things like Medusa or things like that. There's Judeo-Christian yeah. kind of stuff, which a lot of that probably comes through the Dutch old master paintings. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other mythology that is science fiction. Yeah. And they're all kind of really specifically products of their time that are both metaphors for what's going on during the time that they're written. And also in many cases, like a critique of the, of the social and the cultural of the time that they're written. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering if that's, I mean, that might just be some subconscious thing that is going on that you're really attracted to mythologies. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I mean, is this is a lofty, stupid, goofy kind of question. But like, is is the act of painting or are paintings themselves like to you, are they mythologies? Like is a painting a a storytelling device or this or that, um, especially since you're using figuration? Like mm -hmm. one could say, oh, an abstract painting is a story, but in this really zoomed out kind of way. But, yeah, yeah, but you're definitely. presenting more like there are figures and there are things that are recognizable. So I don't know. Is it like, do you gravitate to mythologies because painting is like a type of mythology for you? Um, I, I'd say like uh, painting is kind of a vehicle for me to express my interest in these different mythologies, mm -hmm. which I had from an early age, you know, grew up Catholic, nice. got into, <laughs> yeah, got into the Egyptian kind of Greek mythologies when I was young. Yeah. Little occult stuff here and there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And, um, I, I feel like a lot of these sci-fi fantasy stories from definitely continuing on into the modern age, but definitely had a heyday in like the sixties and seventies of drawing upon these kind of ancient yeah, totally. stories, yeah. which are archetypes for 
different aspects of people's personalities and emotions and what they kind of, what what kind of like a lot of western society is based on yeah were you were you a you were a sci-fi kid were you into stuff when you were younger yeah yeah definitely yeah. what what were some of the movies that you Ooh. that you couldn't get out of your system as a baby boy in portland oregon is that correct yes yes, yes portland yeah. oregon in portland um let me think some movies. I don't know. Always been into like animation and stuff, hmm. and comic books. Yeah. Didn't watch a ton of movies when I was little. Hmm. Maybe uh, they were more like R-rated movies that I could watch at friends sleepovers. Yeah, White Man Can't Jump, Boys <laughs> in the Hood. Excellent examples <laughs> of science fiction. <laughs> yeah. So it was mainly like in books and comics yeah, that yeah, I was like yeah. into that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know, the animated Lord of the Rings, that was pretty good. Oh, wait. The, that kind of blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. It was like... I remember it. Based on live action mm -hmm. figures or actors that it would be animated over. So yeah, there was... That was uh, like my intro into kind of like the sci-fi fantasy realm, a lot of cartoons and stuff. There was a, a Hobbit uh, animated film that I really liked when I was a kid. And oh, I, yeah, that's and the I one. Had a, and I had a book of it like oh like a picture stills but, from the film but it was like yeah but it was like the story it was like a children's book version of it or something like you know full plate pages of an image with like the text on the bottom or something but um i used to put it under when i would go to bed i would put it under like nine or ten other books because Gollum scared the shit out of <laughs> so much and the way that he was rendered was just so scary yeah and it really frightened me that i yeah. would like wedge it under a bunch of other stuff because i was afraid to uh I was afraid that he would come out of the book and yeah. rip me up. I mean, that that's definitely part of my interest in ancient myths and cultures is a lot of irrational fears that I developed <laughs> <laughs> because as of a child because of because Catholicism. Of that and um, <laughs> just an overactive imagination, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the Shining had a very traumatic uh, influence on me. Yeah. Um, How old were you when you saw that? I didn't even see it. <laughs> you just knew about my it? My sister told me about it, and I oh. think uh, I saw, like, a still of the two creepy yeah. little girl twins, twins, and that, yeah. like, kind mm -hmm. of uh, made it hard to sleep for about 10 years after. Wow. <laughs> I, was, I, I, had, I never even saw... Uh, nightmare in elm street and i was terrified of freddy krueger oh yeah. i was like scared to fucking death i had yeah, a, i had a neighbor who would babysit too. us <clears throat> and he brought over one time uh i don't remember what the shoot i wish i could remember this off the top of my head but there was like a there was a rap song that was about nightmare on elm street and it was like a popular radio song it was the 1998 hit single a nightmare on my street by the fresh prince and dj jazzy jeff i think it sampled like the the theme song for it and uh he played it for me and it was just like it was in this minor key and it was the most terrifying song i mean <laughs> and i think it's like a really i wish i could remember i don't care but it was like a goofy mm -hmm. the the rapping was pretty goofy like the song <laughs> was goofy but it terrified me as a kid and i just yeah. was like so scared of freddy krueger and i'd never even seen the thing but it was like in the it was in the cultural consciousness that yeah. freddy krueger was scary and so yeah, i was definitely. afraid of him i did i saw it when i was like nine Oh, that, that was another that, uh, that, terrifying. That fucked me up big time. We watched that at my cousin's Arctic house. Me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I was staying at my cousin's house and like outside Lansing, Michigan. They lived on a farm. And my parents went to Alaska for like a few weeks one summer, and left us with my aunt and uncle. And they let us watch it when it was on TV. 
and ooh, lucky you oh my god i like lost my <laughs> shit we went we went to the ymca the next day to go swimming and yeah. i remember like standing on the diving board and looking into the deep end and there was a um like a filter drain in the mm-hmm. bottom of the pool right below it and i was just like fuck that. i'm not jumping <laughs> into where that drain is like i know, I know who lives in the pipes no way that's scary as shit yeah, another one was of mine was uh cheers the TV show? Yeah, the beginning montage. With the, I had a big that? fear of the kind of ghosts from the 1920s. I think <laughs> wait, it stems from... Wait, uh, the intro song to Cheers? Yeah. Every time that would come on, <laughs> I would run to the <laughs> TV, turn it off. Oh, my God. We had an old TV growing up. There yeah, yeah. remote. So I would yeah. run to these TV, turn it off. Oh, my God. Wait for it, it to end and then watch I guess the, yeah, the aesthetic of the song is kind of fucked compared to the show. I mean, I guess it... Well, it's supposed to say, like, this bar's been around a long time because Boston yeah. is old. Mm-hmm. Wow, I never even really thought about but that. But it, it, it was it's, like, a little, it's a little disconcerting, and it's all, like, sepia-toned. And, like, yeah. oh, oh, and it pans over, it's like, like, the old picture from people. The Shining. Yeah. So I would think, or like... Or It, the same thing. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. a thing in It when they look at it and go, God. <laughs> wow, I'm going to watch that again. Yeah, I thought I'd, oh, like, open the bathroom, and they'd... That there'd be all the ghosts from the bar and oh 1920s cheers and they'd be like hey, jesus Chris, stay you with us forever like <laughs> 10 year old me is terrified <laughs> go to the bathroom <laughs> well that's i mean that's funny though. i feel like uh i wonder if getting into comics and drawing and things like that were you drawing stuff that also was kind of scary like drawing um, things or trying to i'm just curious if that was like a way to not in like a deep psychotherapy thing but mm-hmm. i remember drawing like bad guys yeah that i thought were pretty scary yeah. like just being like if i can draw it like i kind of maybe i'm in charge or yeah. something like that i could sort of uh spend some time with it where i was <laughs> i was in control of the thing but yeah i used to be terrified of fucking monsters and shit i don't know um yeah i wasn't for afraid of my drawings or anything <laughs> 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 where I, I guess i was just like drawing like villain superheroes or yeah, bad yeah. guys from video games and yeah, stuff. yeah yeah, yeah. Oh my but God. i mean get, going into the older <laughs> like the the it was like it's a little psychotherapy for me like Kind of addressing imagery that I I thought I was afraid of when I was younger. And so I I guess I kind of like got more into that. And that's what I brought into the book cover paintings. Yeah. All these kind of like freaky things that I I was interested in when I was younger, when I was a child. Yeah. I was terrified of. And now I think it's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That makes me think about like, uh, I remember walking through the video store as a kid Uh to go rent videos. and, And it was the covers that there were so many movies that... I don't even know if I ever ended up seeing, but yeah. I, just, I remember covers that scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And I was just like, that is terrible. Like, there's, there's a Stephen King one that I remember I was really afraid of that was Sometimes They Come Back. Oh. I ended wow. up seeing that movie later. It's like a horrible, like, made-for-TV. It's not scary at all. It's like <laughs> shitty. It's like a bad movie. But it was like all these, like, greasers, you know, leaning against a car, and there's just flames behind them, which is oh, just like... Yeah. It's like 11 different Stephen King stories just put into one uh, Mm -hmm. book cover or movie cover. But (laughs) yeah, no, that kind of like the iconography on the front of those things is really um, specific. And I think has these like burns into these images. I I don't imagine that's the same thing now that everybody has a thousand pictures flying with him every two seconds. But that was a really oh would you ever see sleepwalkers oh yeah dude that yeah, was a very t- yeah. <laughs> that was uh I very that terrifying at, i saw that at the same cousin's house the same <laughs> summer yeah dude <laughs> i definitely saw sleepwalkers that's the, that one do you remember when, <laughs> you remember when uh people were uh 
there was that New Yorker um, story recently that was called Cat Person that came no. out. Oh, it was like people listening maybe will remember, but it was very not long ago at all. But it was about um, it was an interesting story because it came out sort of during um, as kind of the Me Too movement is gaining momentum, and it was mm-hmm. basically a story. Um, about this younger woman who gets together uh and is sort of like seeing this slightly older man who's you know i don't know probably about like our age Mm -hmm. kind of like lives alone he's a little bit schlubby she kind of feels bad for him but um you know also maybe kind of thinks he's cute but he's kind of an asshole like he's clearly like a sociopathic like weird kind of uh misogynist kind of whatever but anyways it was called cat person people were putting all this stuff up about cat people and blah 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 and i was just like i already saw it was like a cat hoarder i think he had a cat or he had like a cat and his house was gross or something i don't remember (laughs) but anyways but the whole time i was just like Every time that somebody was talking about cat person and sex and all stuff, I was just like, that's sleep. That's the puzzle. <laughs> Except it's incest, right? <laughs> like the, guy, the guy and his mom are cat people or something. I, I never saw it. I was too oh, scared. You <laughs> are you talking about the cover that was like the black cats kind of walking? There's like a house in the background and it has like a claw scratch through the thing that says sleepwalkers. Uh, it was, I saw the, like I the saw. back of the movie with a still of like some dude with a cat face I'm yeah like, yeah he's got god fangs. that's yeah, terrifying nose kind of looks, <laughs> he looks like the uh like the makeup that they did for the live action beauty and the beast tv show also that used to be on. Did that very terrifying <laughs> cats the musical did you have cats in your home no my mom was terrified of cats oh okay well yeah. that's probably, yeah i mean that <laughs> but i mean that that's another thing about ancient cultures they had like this kind of animalistic worship mm-hmm. animal people thing that's yeah, like, yeah. pretty cool do you you know. Zoobly Zoo. Oh, oh my God. That shit's <laughs> yeah, that's pretty weird. <laughs> what about the island of Dr. Moreau? Um, you should watch that. Oh, I saw that in yeah. college. Yeah. Like the, you mean the Marlon Brando one? Where yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's all like, <laughs> Val Kilmer's in it, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feruza Bulk. It's, a, it's an ensemble cast. I mean, that was college days. So I don't remember it. I oh. saw it though. <laughs> well, that's a lot of. I feel like that has like a cat person in it. Oh yeah, it definitely has some cat yeah. people. That, that's when I started thinking. You ever paint a cat? Um, dogs. Oh yeah, I did a book cover which uh, kind of addressed my oh, irrational fear as a child. It was called Ophelia. Oh yeah, that's in the book. Uh, it's yeah, I love. That's actually I like maybe like one out of five things that i make and that's like okay one of the ones i really like i got it i got it <laughs> but uh, also like a lot of these like the book covers had um kind of names that would address like ancient myths and stuff like mm-hmm. that and um kind of isolating the in, in a lot of the book covers i would take away a lot of the publishing information and kind of just keep the title because yeah. often they're like very poetic and yeah the idea i had in my head was like these images and words would kind of come together in an installation as a group Mm -hmm. and um they kind of become they have a pretty poetic yeah yeah like little stanzas or like different Mm -hmm. things like that um and that got me thinking about like installations and mm -hmm. like grouping that's where the kind of editorial aspect of my process was starting to come in more was having things as a group in a book or yeah yeah in a show well it's i mean it's an interesting way to spend a little bit more time with the covers uh in terms of using them as poetic devices because i also remember i mean maybe it's like 10 years ago but there's this sort of trope in 
uh, art, specifically an installation art, where it would be like a stack of books Mm -hmm. and the spines, like the titles would say a sentence. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's um, not taking anything away from that. I just saw a lot of it, but it was sort of using those as a poetic device. But there's something different about flipping the book over, spending time and rendering the cover where you kind of like inhabit the idea of of what's going on in it so that you feel like you're not just, it's not just you're placing an object in like you would just take a word. Mm -hmm. Like even though you didn't generate that text, you're generating it in a different way. So it seems like you're spending more time with it. Yeah, and definitely the title had a lot to do with which covers I would choose and how the title interacts with the image. Once it's kind of like taken away from being a book by stripping away a lot of that publisher information, publishing information. And usually are you, you're usually the author's names aren't on them either. Right. For Um, the most part. Yeah. I I played around with that here and there. And then I kind of decided that there was too much association with that author's body of work. So I started taking that out too. And having it more of a, this kind of mysterious image. A lot of these covers are very, obscure too yeah and i played around with using personal books like i'm not super well read and i kind of like the classics so i have a lot of those around they're nice and beat up but also just trying to choose things that maybe people haven't seen around a lot it's funny too when you pull the author name out and the publishing name out and things like that you start to nod to the genre at large as Mm -hmm. kind of I mean, again, going back to this idea about mythology, it it presents all of these things as like uh, bits of this larger mythology of, let's say, like science fiction or something like that, in the same way that we think about. I mean, I'm not, I'm no fucking scholar on this. I don't know. But you think about like uh, Roman or Greek mythology or things. And of course, there are like some, there's like a couple writers or something. There's like Sophocles. That's Mm -hmm. a person. (laughs) Homer. Uh, But names like, but it's like, but it becomes, it's like a body of like time and space that, Mm -hmm. that refers to a thing. And you're kind of doing that with these science fiction covers by taking off like Asimov or Dick or like whatever name is on the thing and creating, Mm -hmm. like, it's more about this sort of pulpy time when all these people were writing these things in like a fast production mode that I think everybody is, you know, clearly returning to now because they seem like they uh, were sort of foreshadowing which i guess is you know the point of science fiction but mm-hmm. people seem very much as we have an accelerated culture of technology and things like that that people are like "Ooh, this predicted this or something yeah. and it's kind of like well it's not exactly like clairvoyance to be like one day we'll have tablets and we'll be able to see each other. <laughs> <laughs> i mean if you can imagine it somebody's gonna do it i guess yeah i mean and and that's what i like about science fiction is that opens up it's so imaginative and then it opens up possibilities where yeah maybe someone did think of a tablet in the 60s yeah um but yeah working with the books definitely opened up kind of working with found objects more because i would go around bookstores kind of in the same way that one would like dig for records yeah like dig for dollar books that were nice and beat up and had cool stains <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but you're embe- i mean you embellish some of it right you're not actually finding some of those books as fucked up as you paint them yeah i'm, I'm embellishing <laughs> i'm not trying to blow up your, I'm not trying to blow up your spot here Dude. <laughs> but that was part of the fun it's like i love trump lloyd painting i've yeah. loved that since i was a kid i was like so fascinating to me and i was like oh cool i, I can bring in some trump lloyd painting yeah, into yeah. what i'm doing do you remember that did they tell you that story in art school about the like two painters and it was like a competition to see who was the greatest painter and uh 
and so the one you know they they bring them out of the day of the mm-hmm. competition and the mm-hmm. king or whoever is going to judge it and the paintings are sitting up there and and um you know they're covered uh they've got these like velvet sort of like coverings on them and the first painter goes up and he and he pulls the velvet covering back and it's this bowl of like grapes and this bird mm-hmm. comes flying out of the sky and it crashes into the bowl of grapes because it's so realistic that it thinks that it's going to get a grape. And everybody's yeah. like, oh my God, what <laughs> amazing, amazing <laughs> yeah. painting or something. And then, Fooled that yeah, bird. And then, the, and then the second guy, they're like, they're like, okay, now take, take, um, you know, show us your painting. And he's yeah. like, ha ha, the, the velvet curtain is the painting what? and everybody's like <laughs> no no <laughs> i remember like a, like my painting like first oil painting teacher at arizona state university like telling us that story on the first day and i was just like what i was like i don't care man this story sucks <laughs> um so book covers, mythologies, drawing from all these different things, but it feels like with the Sergeant's Daughter show that you kind of honed in a little bit more on the materials that you were mm-hmm. choosing and also the time period or 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 where you were borrowing iconography from. Yeah. So um, it was, it was kind of what I asked you right off the bat, but let's get back to the materials that were in that show and mm-hmm. how you made those decisions. I know you said some of it was just by necessity of a deadline, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but besides necessity being the mother of invention, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you, cause you, you could pick anything. How do you, yeah, how, do you definitely. Pick the, how do you pick the specifics? I mean, for that for, Fortnite solo show, um, and that, that show was, was called places. Plays. Plays. Yeah. Ooh, almost. I was yeah, very close. Yeah. I just that, pulled that out of my brain, <laughs> though, right? Yeah, I had three, yeah. uh, four of the letters, uh, right? But anyway, sorry. So for that show. Yeah. Uh, that, that In that show, I had referenced a book cover. Um, that was a collection of um, uh, Russian short stories. I think it was Chekhov. Um, and so the theme behind that one was kind of just like, I'm playing around it's a little punny mm-hmm. but i mean that's essentially what i was feeling it was a lot of domestic materials personal um objects that were like in my apartment like bed sheets towels yeah and then um i i wanted to kind of bring in new materials so i wouldn't necessarily repeat myself so for the sergeant's daughter show um i just kind of grabbed anything that had a paintable surface that looked cool. <laughs> yeah. What is it? What is a non? What is a non-paintable surface? What can't you paint on? Um, right now, latex. Latex. Okay. Nothing but, sticks to latex. Okay. So some, <laughs> something that has like a little bit of a tooth and will accept the paint. Yeah, so and, and I've realized I can paint on a lot of stuff from the <laughs> Sergeant's Daughter show. So a lot of it came from like walks to the studio or things that I. A lot of construction materials, rubble found on the street. Uh-huh. Um, one really nice find that I was psyched on was a national grid barrier. It had like national grid branded <laughs> into that like orange and white stripes. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, I, one part, I, one thing that I took from doing all those kind of jokey alien toast paintings was the ability to like lighten up and not take myself so seriously. So I feel like I kind of play around with. Um, different materials that i find and almost like the more common the better the more beat up the better where it's kind of you know looks like garbage (laughs) (laughs) then by almost painting like these really beautifully composed 
um, highly regarded old master paintings like elevates that material yeah, yeah. and changes how people see them. And uh, for the Sergeant's Daughter show, there's so many different sub types of subject matter, albeit like very religious that the Northern Renaissance covers ranging from like domestic life to scenes of tragedy to scenes of ecstasy. And um, I decided to focus on interiors. The, mm -hmm. the Sergeant's Daughter show was called interiors. And um, that was a big aspect of early Northern Renaissance painting was depicting a domestic interior where say like an altarpiece that the piece was commissioned for would be housed for yeah. like personal devotion. And um, a lot of these scenes are super weird <laughs> where there'd be like someone in this medieval garb surrounded by saints uh -huh. who are pretty much like specters with like rays of, um, I don't know, spirituality like emanating from them in some kind of post-apocalyptic landscape or something yeah, yeah, yeah very very much your average living room <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh that that was like a parameter i said it was yeah like, okay interiors from the northern renaissance and um finding a match between the imagery and the material is kind of like a game I play sometimes where, yeah. I don't know, it's a lot of it is an instinctual feeling where I feel like there's elements, say, in the function of a barrier. Um, and then there is the design of the stripes mm -hmm. that if I can like fit the image in where it kind of like, I don't know, it has a form of a human body yeah. or that kind of relates to putting like St. George the night on a barrier, you know? Yeah. yeah. Is this like, like fucking up the way that you walk around and look at stuff now? Yes. Like, like I'm always working. Like an, like, <laughs> I'm imagining like this augmented reality thing over stuff where you're looking at surfaces and being like, Oh shit, I should paint that onto that thing or mm -hmm. something, which is probably both fun and also probably drives you kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I carry, you keep picking up garbage Ikea bags in my backpack <laughs> so, in so I can pick big. up rubble off the street. <laughs> <laughs> And it, but it's also fun like i'm scanning yeah. the urban landscape and i've kind of decided that you're like the terminator but you have to paint exactly like, i'll like kind of cross my eyes like do the magic eye thing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then see what stands out uh -huh. and then those are kind of like the materials i pick up are the interesting things that like the diamonds in the rough uh yeah, that but, kind of but i bet it lends and travels around bushwick yeah, it lends a whole extra level though to that process of painting because instead of um instead of just always knowing the surface you have this like you said you have this whole other game of associations that you get to play because if it's mm -hmm. canvas every single time it's like well i know exactly how i'm going to do this thing on that um you're kind of reinventing uh not reinventing but almost it seems like having to relearn how to paint every single time just because you're working against a surface that isn't designed to accept what you're doing exactly and so yeah. that's a it's because you talked earlier about wanting to get out of a boredom or a this or that or feeling like something is a rote task or i don't want to paint this way because it's just simpler something so you're creating all of these like challenges mm -hmm. or puzzles to solve as you're going through it which definitely seems like a good way to maintain the energy yeah i mean i was I wanted to get away from Kansas, canvas because I was bored of a square. Yeah. 
I was bored you know they come in rectangles. You don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah. I, I tried shaped canvas for a while, and then uh, I don't know. I, I just had this um, notion that I want to make art from for the rest of my life. So I'm going to make it as simple and as possible. Keep my process as simple as, simple as possible. Keep the materials almost free <laughs> yeah well i mean the i mean even using so i can a, make art anywhere yeah i mean using acrylic paint too it seems like mm-hmm. you don't have to let's say i mean god forbid but you lose your studio mm-hmm. you could do acrylic paintings on found objects at your house yeah like or a on an island in tahiti yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> you oh, can just bring your stuff yeah, with you no yeah, i think that's, that's what i like about it but that's smart though i mean bringing in the and even if it's not um like expressly a political angle of your work it's still kind of uh, imbued in there in the in the sub levels that there is this kind of politics of economy mm-hmm. like you're making these really fantastic objects but you're using really like you're using derelict surfaces you're using a, mm-hmm. a medium of paint that although I mean I don't know if people are as concerned about it these days but previously it was like oh if you're not painting in oil like what are you doing you right know, it's kind of like um, but so yeah you're using all this kind of pop stuff and bringing these deeper things to it which makes a lot of sense considering your interests in like science fiction and other stuff like that that they have these really heavy conceptual aspects to them but presented in this kind of like pulpy way yeah yeah. cool i mean there's definitely a marriage there i feel like oh great (laughs) that's what i've tried to do you know what i mean it's like trying to explain well it's trying to explain i feel like this is when i'm trying to explain why i love um like science fiction or comedy to somebody who's not into one of them Mm -hmm. and i absolutely understand that there's a perspective of like oh science fiction is like this thing or like comedy sucks because i see these horrible stand-up specials on netflix or something that are just tired old hat like who cares and trying to be like no no there's there's there are people and movements and things like that within it that are really interesting it's mm-hmm. just like anything else like most of everything sucks but there's some good stuff like yeah like most sci-fi sucks yeah but like so does most rock and roll yeah, yeah, so does most food. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Well, maybe not most food. I like a lot of food, but <laughs> just pulling examples here. But yeah, a lot of the vast majority of things aren't great, but the things that are great within them are fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're probably thinking the same thing when you find the right piece of trash. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, part part of it is like, uh, like well, one big think of thing I think about is how can I take this really common material and present it in the most unexpected way that I can imagine. Yeah. So like take an Amazon Prime cardboard box and put it on the wall. Yeah, and... yeah. You're doing alchemy, baby. <laughs> 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 that's, well, that's what it is. Right? You're turning shit into gold. Like, <laughs> that's the whole point though, I think. And and it's cool though to um to use materials that really that challenge is set up for you. Yeah. Like, well, this, I have to make this not just a piece of thing that I found on the street, mm-hmm. which is I mean, very easy to do like ready-made or something, but even, I mean, the care that you take with the books, like you could, um, in 2018, it would be totally reasonable for you to have a nice little shelf and just put that tattered book in the gallery mm-hmm. and say, this is the object. Look, mm-hmm. I'm the artist. I placed it here. It is the, it is the art object, but no, you're taking, you're spending this time and you're doing this transformation and stuff. And I think that's that kind of workhorse ethic or the, the evidence of the care in your work is part of the reason that uh i've always responded to it like that i mentioned earlier that ryobi room show was the first time i saw one of your paintings and i just remember looking at it and it was the alien in bed with the woman yeah and i was just like who the 
how long did this take to like, you know what i mean like you could have uh you could change the dpi of an image of that off the internet and print it really nicely mm -hmm. on like a color printer and still have sort of visually the same like effect when you first look at it but there was something about like the slow process the care and the time that went into it that's like this must be important or like there's something here that i need to like think about more because if somebody spent this much time mm -hmm. rendering this thing then there's something going on and it's not uh it's not just like a, a ha ha or like a look at what i can do moment or something like that there's much more involved in it you know um no <laughs> no <laughs> no that that was like one of the first kind of like joke paintings that i made where i was i d did the 180 and uh, -huh. uh definitely I, i'm a very quick painter so it, uh -huh. it, it, it didn't take too long how many hours um, like 50 hours or something See, that's a, not a quick painting though <laughs> like, you're still that's i understand true. what you're saying but uh i'm saying that's still a lot of time yeah. to spend well, on something. That, that's <laughs> the thing about realistic painting <laughs> it, it's just like so seductive yeah and like you know like a minimalist painter makes a painting in like 45 minutes <laughs> <laughs> i mean they stare at it for a long time. <laughs> well i mean i think that has a lot to do with it just like that's why i respect like certain elements of like minimalism and abstract painting so much where there a lot your whole lifetime of experience and what one an artist like perceives that like definitely goes into like the decisions one makes so from uh making representational painting i was trying to figure out a way to be original mm -hmm. because i think that's very hard to like accept the fact that i can make something look how it looks in real life but also do that in an interesting way make yeah. it weird and i feel like with these um kind of painting on found objects it's pretty weird <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where i can take people's associations that they have with this kind of common everyday object and that reception they take of this kind of very beautifully crafted renaissance imagery and that creates a pretty complex reception of an artwork you know yeah it raises questions too about the i mean canvas isn't that special just that? A, like canvas isn't that special just as an yeah, object we yeah, have i mean we give it about it well we give it an importance because it is it sits in the history of art and that is the material or that's the surface upon which like paint material goes mm -hmm. but a concrete block i mean it's just they're not i don't think one like one's not more scarce than the other right yeah exactly like they, i don't know so but but they are very special each yeah, they both have their own piece of rubble <laughs> wait so okay and this is a this is a little this is a little off the topic but you okay one time do you paint it on a couch one time yeah is that right yeah that was another uh show curated by b tom at a uh, fisher parish gallery okay and but you had an experience with the couch right what do you mean didn't i see you right after you and your brother like picked the couch up or something oh and didn't <laughs> <laughs> nah. 
Yes. We don't have to talk about that. No. So. No, I mean, we can. I mean, wow. I didn't thought about that in a while. You, like, came over here, mm-hmm. like, minutes after. Ha- mm-hmm. you, I can't remember. We were, like, we had to give you something, and you came by the house, and you're like, check yeah. out what just happened to me. Yeah, that was insane. So, so uh, <laughs> had this... Uh, participated in the show it was a living room show that was kind of the curatorial angle for it and um i was asked to do a couch which i i love getting assignments because it makes me operate in a way that i wouldn't normally because yeah. and and i always learn a lot so i was like okay cool couch yeah. that is something i would never have thought it's pretty big i guess i can use it in the studio <laughs> if I still have it after the show. <laughs> so um, I decided to choose a uh, kind of love seat Ikea couch because I was like, oh, yeah, I can still take a nap on this. Yeah, and it'll yeah. fit my studio. My brother was in town. I don't know how to drive. 36-year-old guy <laughs> doesn't know how to drive. That's why I never leave New York. Because <laughs> you moved here in like 2000, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, your adult life has been... <laughs> so my brother rents this truck from U-Haul. And um, we're uh, on the BQE, going to Ikea and Red Hook, kind of like in that neighborhood of Dumbo, you know, where yeah. there's, it's it's super busy. There's just constant traffic. Yeah. And um, my brother hears this clunk. He's driving. I'm in the passenger side. And uh, he looks in the rear view mirror and he's like, oh my God, the truck is on fire. <laughs> And I'm just like, wait, what? And I see in his rearview mirror the reflection of flame. <laughs> like the truck is physically The truck is on fire. That you're in. And so we pull over <laughs> on the side of the BQE, and the flames are just growing. <laughs> and then we're like, just like, what should we do? I don't know. And then so he calls the police. Luckily, there's like... A cop not too far from us uh, he pulls over too and the fuck's the, the cop gonna do yeah he, he calls some backup <laughs> and then to shoot the van <laughs> <laughs> we're just watching this thing burn and then it just starts growing Did you and move things away? are be, popping yeah i'd be we're afraid it slowly would moving it away a, yeah, it has a gas tank on it and then it exploded <laughs> <laughs> on the BQE? On the BQE. Wait, we're just, just walking driving this by. thing burn. The, the cop kind of redirects traffic. Me and my brother... Two lanes, Two lanes start, over, guys. Just, yeah, it is, it's in a tunnel. It looks insane. <laughs> He's taking video of yeah, yeah. the burning car. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I should take video too. Yeah. <laughs> And then me and my brother are just hanging out watching this thing burn. The fire department eventually comes. They put it out. Me and my brother are like, what should we do? Are are we in trouble? Like, what's going on? And, um, yeah, they put it out. A tow truck came. Luckily, we didn't lose anything or didn't die. Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't your truck. It, It wasn't our truck. Um, and, um, we got bagels and then went to the beach you didn't get the couch we didn't get the couch you should go back and get it a different day i i, I got it delivered <laughs> well that's i mean you gotta you know you gotta you gotta suffer to make the work sometimes, sometimes you gotta be almost suffer blown up in a van life. on the way to get your materials <laughs> yeah. you know if you had uh i don't know 
well, if you made really big canvases, maybe you still would have had to take a van. So you never <laughs> exactly. know. I mean, it could, it could happen no matter what. Yeah, never getting in, uh, never going to learn how to drive or get in a death carriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Chris, thank you so much for coming by today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's super fun. Um, so people should go to Chris's website, check out the work. I'll put a link, obviously, in the episode description. Uh, they could follow you on the gram. You're oh, posting yeah. stuff on the Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of new studio work and info about shows and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So keep an eye on that. Make sure to get out and see Chris's stuff. And they can... Is the... Are books still available from Heavy Time? That's yeah. What it's called. Yeah, are still copies still, of it? There's still copies. Yeah, yeah. Are so they Australian? Yeah, they're great publishing. It came quickly. I was surprised when oh, I ordered yeah, it. Yeah, nice. it showed right up. Yeah, they, I was like, well, I ordered it from Australia, so I'll see it in six months or something. Yeah. But Great no, small pu- press publisher in Seems Australia. like they know what they're doing. But yeah, yeah it's a beautiful book um, and a wonderful little option. Ooh, will you sign mine before you leave? Yeah, definitely. Fuck yeah. yeah. Put a little nice. Noise. That way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, Chris, thank you, and thanks to everybody out there in listener land. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, we'll see you all next week. There ain't no mystery here, we just try to get by. No use in heaven or playing that only cut up the sky.
But baby, we two are running out of time. Hey! 